Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Soda City Sit Down Podcast. We are here with episode 24, the big two four. We, uh, well, I'm going to say, I was going to say we have a big week coming ahead, but honestly, I am at like my pinnacle right now. Uh, golf is being played in South Carolina this week. And uh, it's, I, I talked about it last week. If you listened, I was pretty hype. It looked like Tiger was going to play. Uh, of course, we all know Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer of all time in the history of the universe and anything else. But uh, it made a big whole scene about it. Uh, the golf community was going off because his big old yacht had left his home in Florida and was making its way up the East Coast. And uh, people were pretty much saying that, well, it's going to be pretty obvious he's going to make his way to Hilton Head and play in the Heritage Tournament. Uh, he, he's not. He's not. I'm pretty bummed about it. Uh, I know the rest of the guys aren't uh, as bummed about it because they didn't really <laughs> care. <laughs> right, guys? Right? We're all bummed. The Tigers are bummed. So, So, I guess I'm the one that is uh, going to be carrying, I guess, the first two topics that I have to talk about this week. Um, but there are also two topics that are relevant to the state of South Carolina and what we want our podcast to be about. And the other guys can just suck it for about 10 minutes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the Heritage Classic is this week. Normally, it is about middle of April. Uh, traditionally, it is the week after the Masters. Uh, so uh, it's normally kind of a, a forgotten about tournament because of that. Uh, th- th- a lot of the big names don't play because it's coming off of the first major of the year. A lot of times, one of those superstar names is a newly minted Masters champion, so they have no reason to come and play after that. So uh, not a lot of the big names come and play in it um, just because of that. Uh, you know, big names have played in it. Um, it's been about 20 years, 23 years, I think, since, like, Tiger played in it. So that just kind of gives you an example of it if you aren't familiar with the level of the tournament. Uh, but it's on a really great course. Uh, Pete Dodd designed it, one of the best course designers out there. He uh, he designed the Ocean Course. You're familiar with that. Uh, if you're familiar with the Players Championship, important which is that. Biggest- what? How important is his is a is a designer for the course? Like, obviously, I know nothing in a golf course is natural these days, especially on a big golf course. But like, is there is there that much of a science behind it? I assume there is. Like, you know, you have longer longer ones, you have ones with more like water elements and all that. But like, is there is there really like a group of people that are like, oh, the famous like Pat Dye? Like, oh my god, like it's, number one is Pete Dye. Oh, sorry. Pat Dye is an Auburn guy. Sorry. My <laughs> no. no, you're good. You're good. Yeah, no, um, it, it's actually a really good question. It, it is. You know, there are, um, there are, uh, you know, architects that are, um, are really big. Uh, so Pete Dye right. is one of the most famous, uh, I guess you could say modern ones. Um, and then, you know, there's guys like, uh, so like Alistair McKenzie is known uh, for designing Augusta National. I, yeah, I remember that name, actually. Yeah. So. so, you know, he's very famous, obviously, because that is so, so um, famous. Um, he's got a couple other ones um, uh, on the West Coast that are pretty popular. So, like, names like that. Um, and uh, uh, Donald Ross, he, he's big in the Carolinas. He did Pinehurst, a lot of the, the Pinehurst golf resorts. Um, those are pretty big and, and have hosted a, a U.S. Open and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, there, there are big names in the community. And like I said, Pete Dye is one of the – he actually passed away within the last year um, very recently. I think it was just a couple months ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, but yeah, he designed the course on Hilton Head, uh, the the, um, the ocean course, which is you know really big in South Carolina. Um, 
And so, uh, so yeah, so like Pete Dye is known for just really just he's an asshole. Like his courses are known to be very, very tough um, and strategically tough. So, um, and so, I mean, he, he really makes you think. Um, one thing that he's just really good about is, is playing a course that is going to be like, he's not just playing a course that's going to, like, he's not, or I'm guessing designing a course that, you know, is just made to be like for pro golfers. You know, a lot of courses that are on like that level will be like, okay, we're going to play from this distance and, um, and you know, it's going to be really tough for these guys. And if you're not at that level of skill, like it's just not a point going out. Um, but I mean, I know y'all don't follow golf, but y'all know, like there are different tee boxes and based on your yeah. skill level and age and, and other factors, um, you know, you, you're suggested to play from these ones. So one thing that he was always really good about was designing a course that's going to present a fair challenge. Um, and, and a really different approach and unique approach from each one of those tee boxes and how you really had to a- attack the course. So, um, so he's a really great, uh, really great designer. Um, it's actually, like I said, not a lot of people play the course just because of where it falls on the calendar. Um, but the people that have, and, and, you know, a lot of these golfers are still familiar with the course just from playing it on their own or seeing it when it's being played. Um, and it's one of the highest regarded courses on tour. Um, one of the biggest debates in golf is we're talking about course architecture is a lot of it is just like where these guys can hit it out there 400 yards. They don't really hit a 400 yards, but exaggerating slightly. Um, and then just slap it onto the green with like a short iron and then putting, uh, this course is not that way. You know, you have to shape your shots the correct way. There's more of an art to having to play this course. So I get excited for courses like that and even more so that it's here in South Carolina. Um, but it's going to be a great field. Uh, th- there's like a, like 150 guys on tour. I feel like I can hear you guys laughing at me going off on this whole thing. <laughs> you are way deeper into this than I thought. What we is were happening? Well, well, Open the gate. He opened the gate. I did. Um, well, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up. Just going in with, uh, um, with just the rest of it, just kind of the headliners on it. Um, it, it's like, I, I think there's like 150 guys scheduled to play. 130 of them have won on the PGA tour, which is like the most that have, most PGA Tour winners that have been at this event, like, ever, uh, which is really cool. It's their best field of all time, uh, which is really great. It's a shame there's not going to be any fans there um, because, obviously, because of the coronavirus. So um, it kind of sucks for that regard because you're getting your best field, but you can't really celebrate it with, with the patrons and the fans. But uh, I'm really excited just as a, as, a, as a golf fan, definitely, but just as a, um, as a South Carolinian, um, a lot to look forward to. Uh, Fellow, fellow Gamecock, uh, Wesley Bryan, uh, he's going to be playing in the event. He's on a medical ex- um, exemption with the BGA Tour right now, but uh, he won the event in 2017, so he's going to be able to play because of that. Um, and I can go into the tennis that's happening in South Carolina, or do y'all want to skip that for now and then go into your wide receivers? I think we all know maybe what the answer to that one might be. <laughs> so tennis, let's go. No, well, I'll let Clayton talk about the wide receivers. So we like teased last week a little bit of uh, how uh, every week we wanted to start reviewing a position group for South Carolina football, and uh, we said that we wanted to start with wide receivers. Uh, this was kind of Matthew's idea, so I figured that we can uh, start off with uh, how he wants to guide us through this. Well, when it comes to the receivers, um, I guess just some background from last year and years prior, South Carolina's always kind of had a guy when it comes to the receiving core. Um, it was Edwards last year before it was Debo and Farrow and 
even Alan back Finn. even further earlier in the uh, um, decade with Alshon Jeffrey. Obviously, the big loss is Brian Edwards. Um, it's going to be tough to replace a guy who was, in my opinion, a first-round talent before his injury late in the season. We saw how bad it got without Edwards um, once he got hurt toward the end of the year. Definitely a disappointing year overall for um, a really talented I think a talented group of, of receivers toward the end stretch. Um, was that maybe on our run game going away? Was it Helensky's injury and his uh, inconsistency toward the end of the year? We're not sure, but I think you can ask anyone and they'll say that the wide receivers for South Carolina could definitely be better and were, were a weakness of the offense last year. So obviously losing Edwards, um, a tough one, but outside of that, we have a lot of high three-star and four-star talent of any class from true freshman to our lone senior. Well, I guess there's two seniors with Randricius Davis, who has come off a few injuries, as well as Shai Smith, who I think most people will agree um, are expecting to be kind of the number one guy. So as for just the roster in general, we'll go down the line. Um, Josh Van, Dakarian Joyner, who is now a receiver from quarterback Randricius Davis, Shai Smith, Xavier Leggett, or Trey Smith, Trey Atkins, Tyquan Johnson, Chad Terrell, and Mike Wyman. Um, so does anybody have any uh, any ideas as to like what what we think maybe the starters will look like, what we're expecting, um, all of us having watched last year? There were disappointing times toward the end of the season with some inconsistencies. So what, what do we think? Uh, does anyone want to highlight any of the receivers that we think might come out this year so i was just gonna say shy smith of course but the people that i i mean just like to throw a couple names out there the people that i really have my eyes on are van joiner leggett and ortray i think some combination of them or i mean really just one of them we just really need to step it up this year all of those guys are very unproven some of them have had games or in Ortre's case he even had a whole season where he played really well but none of them have seen uh continued success and I think somebody in that group really needs to step it up I think for me the most likely is probably Leggett but I think any of those guys that I mentioned could easily take a major step and be a, a one of our uh, star players I'm I'm really hoping that Otre Smith really, you know, has a great year. Uh like like Matt was kind of saying earlier about like that 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 guy in terms of the wide receiver room or a kind of star wide receiver. It's always really tall guys that perform really well at South Carolina for one reason or or another with our quarterbacks. Uh and like I guess I never really realized the the height on a lot of these guys, but we've got like three guys that were mentioned there that are all like around 5'10". So I feel like it's pretty small for a wide receiver. And Otre Smith is is 6'4". So, I mean, he's definitely got the size. Joyner is 6'1". So, I mean, I'm hoping that we start getting our taller guys to really perform and, and you know, be some great wideouts this season. So One caveat to that is one very big idea that we had here is that last year, some of the un- underperformance can definitely come down to injuries. Josh Van had a relatively disappointing season, um, but he also broke his hand. Dakarian Joyner wasn't a receiver last year. He he moved over there, and with the injuries to the other quarterbacks, 
um, had to kind of switch back and forth. Rendricius Davis has had injuries throughout his career. Ortre had the knee scope, which a lot of people thought he wouldn't come back from. Um, I'm, I think Shai Smith was relatively healthy throughout the season. Same with Leggett, but n- nobody like purely really healthy. I think Shai had some like hamstring problems or something like that. Yeah, it, he had problems here and there. Terrell has also had injuries throughout his career. And of course, Edwards most of the second half of the season. Injury ridden, as with it, it seemed like a lot of positions on the offense last year. So that's one one area that gives me hope there when it comes to this receiving core. I mean, it's it's a lot of four star uh, recruits from all, and you know four stars doesn't necessarily mean everything in the world. Like Debo is a three star, Fair Cooper was I believe a three star. I think he was two. Yeah. Or I think and, he might have got up to three after the uh, Senior Bowl. Yeah. But regardless, I, I think there's a decent amount of talent here, as well as um, one position group we'll highlight later is the tight ends. I think there's a decent amount of uh, talent there from a pass catching ability as well. So hopefully we we'll, should have uh, some options for the quarterbacks. For me, I think Marino mentioned Ortre Smith, which I've heard people compare him to Edwards in practice, like the things he's been able to do. He's obviously got the height above some of the other guys, the tallest wide receiver in our room. So super exciting guy. Um, I think of everything everyone's shouted out, I think the one guy that I think he had a really bad sophomore season is Josh Van. He had so much hype, and I've yet to see it. He had, I think, the most drops in the entire SEC, I want to say, and on on a pretty limited number of uh, attempts thrown to him. Broke his wrist in, uh, I want to say it was the Tennessee game, but it might not have been. Either way, I think he has a ton to prove this year as a guy who was in that class of receivers. Hasn't, I mean, he, he was playing as a redshirt, or not even as a redshirt. He didn't have a redshirt. He played as a true freshman. I think he's the guy that I want to really see break out this season. But at, he's got a lot to prove. He hasn't shown a lot yet from what he's clearly a talented guy. I think that Josh Van has shown a decent bit. Like, I, from the. The little bit that I've seen is he looks like he's very fast. He's his route running is good, but he just has to finish. He's just got to catch the ball. He's getting open, like he's getting those looks on his limited snap count. Just got to catch the ball, man. Austin, uh, Tyler, yeah, y'all have uh, any specific players that you're looking for? I I really hate answering these questions at least right now uh, because I am notoriously one of those sunshine pumpers that it's just sunshine pumpers there it is again yep yeah marina just learned that term very recently but i had to throw <laughs> it in there um it, it, I, i'm i'm the guy that you know in in june july august uh or at least early august i'm gonna find a way to map out where carolina can win the national championship you know like or we can play for the sec championship and i'm the guy that's still in november if there's a mathematical possibility i'm going to say well if we just do this and this happens and it probably will we'll make it to the sec championship and here we are in 2020 after 25 years in the league and we've had one appearance you know so that's where i'm at um but and but this i have a hard time like finding a way to get up and get optimistic about this this room again i mean obviously you know we got shy and shy's been perfectly fine i just feel like you know we don't have a brian edwards we don't have a debo this year at least not one that stepped up and so that that really worries me um you know i know where the soda city sit down and soda city is columbia but you know I, i'm 
originally from the low country. So I really root for these low country guys when they do come to the team. So um, especially, you know, I mean, Ortrey Smith coming out of Wando. Um, Wando was a rival uh, of my high school, kind of a rival. I don't know. Just I don't like Wando, but I'm still going to cheer at least for Ortrey. Um and then, uh, and then Dak Joyner. I mean, he came. I mean, his school was actually one of my school's rivals. Um, I remember watching him play football, um, or watching him play. You know, quarterback um, back. I think it was like his sophomore year, the year they won state. And you know, I've I've enjoyed watching his career. So I, I really want to see him him do well uh, as as a wide receiver. I think he has a tremendous amount of athletic talent that can be very useful in the position. So I'm excited for that. And Josh Fan, kind of like y'all said, I want to get excited about him. But, I mean, I know he had injuries, but I feel that he also had opportunities to, to break out last year uh, because when he did get in, like, I feel like he was targeted uh, at, a, at a decent clip. And I, I just feel like he just – he didn't pull through as much as he needed to. So are you saying you're, pe- you're not as optimistic about our wide receiver core because of – or just why are you not optimistic? Because I would say that we have a – I mean, a relatively talented wide receiver core. I would just say the only thing that's holding me back is the lack of experience. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely see where there's like where there's the hype and there's the there is the talent, like you're saying. It's just uh, I guess like in the last couple of years, um, I, I feel like we've at least had like one guy that we know we can go into the season and like workhorse rely on. And I don't know if we can really say that about Smith. I mean, he would be the one that we would point to the most as that role because, I mean, he has the most experience on the team. But I don't know with, with that experience if, like, we can be like, that's our guy the way we were the last couple of years with Edwards or with Samuel or even with, like, uh, Pharaoh Cooper going back further or Bruce Ellington, you know, all those guys. I mean, I don't know if Bruce Ellington was ever really that role, but, you know, I mean, he was a fan favorite at least. All right, so I have just a few questions. Uh, I guess the last area we haven't really talked about in reference to these receivers are the incoming freshmen. So uh, a fairly good pull in in most areas for this recruiting class, but the new freshman being redshirt freshman Tyquan Johnson, who had some trouble getting into school but is here now, Uh, Mike Wyman, freshman out of Greensboro, as well as Takarian Joyner, kind of a new receiver, but it'll be this will be his first year as a full-time receiver. Well, there was also Kavion Mullins, but it looks like he's uh, he's moved to tight end. Going to tight end, yes. Yeah. But of all all that, I have just a few questions before we wrap up this um, segment of the podcast. Is I I want to see what everyone thinks. Um, so first question, a pretty easy one. Who do we think are going to be the three starters? I, I want to see if anybody has an opinion on this. I say we could like kind of eliminate some like. Because there's definitely some we know are going to start, right? Right. Like Shy Smith is going to be a starter. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like everyone can agree on that. I would. I would say Orchard. I'd say both Smiths and then Van and maybe Dak. I can see. I can see Joiner taking his way in. There. I could too. I see Dak being used like a special packages kind of layout. Yeah. Maybe some goal line formations or you know trick play stuff like that. I'm not saying he's going to be used a lot, but I can definitely see him being you know a, a sneaky wildcat kind of. Special package. I think he has more potential than just like a special package kind of guy. I, I agree. I agree. But I just in the kind of we're just talking about three starters. I don't know if I would put him third, right? I wouldn't put him as a starter. I agree with Austin. I mean, at least at the very beginning. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, like not a starting wide receiver. I could see him sneaking in there at some point, uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's crazy. You know, I feel like 
And, and part of it is because, like, he's from, like, our hometown, basically, and we've followed, at least, I don't know about Austin, but I know I've followed him for a while. And so it feels like he's been around forever, but he's only a redshirt sophomore. So he's still got so much time that he can develop into a role with us. And and that, that I, I, it's him. crazy that he's only a sophomore, honestly, just thinking about that. Right? Um, my, my answer is kind of two part because I think what, uh, what I think will be the starting lineup to start the season is going to be Shy Smith, Xavier Leggett, and if I had to bet, it'd probably be Josh Van. If you ask me what it'll be toward the mid to late end of the season, uh, assuming no injuries, which is a large yeah, assumption, oh, well. <laughs> uh, I, I really do think what we're talking about yeah, here. I think. In the end, just based off development, I bet Dak's going to make his way in there. I would also venture to say that if, if Ortre Smith stays healthy, he needs to be a starter. So Shai Smith, Ortre Smith, and uh, Dak Joyner are my my three later. I think to start, though, it'll probably be Shai Smith, Van, and Xavier Leggett. I'm just thinking, like, who's playing slot? Like Van, Van is a slot receiver, I believe. Van, yeah. Van. But I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, I would agree with you. All right, next question. But Shai's going to be out wide, though? Like, I don't know. I bet he will. Right? I mean, Debo, Debo, Debo moved out wide. I mean, they're not the same player by any means, but it could I mean, happen. Debo's bigger than Shai, though. I mean, that's true. It, it, Debo's, it like, considerably bigger. Like Debo, Debo was insane. He was like this. I, I remember Shai Smith and Debo were on the same team and were the same, to, the same height, but Debo was, like, 50 pounds of muscle heavier than him, which was insane. How tall but was Edwards? Edwards, I think, was 6'4", six, 6'5", four, six, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, Pretty similar like that. to Ortre. That's perfect. I would say that's perfect yeah. for Ortre. If Ortre could be healthy. If Ortre needs to be, and you said it, man. He needs to be on the outside regardless. Have him be an outside receiver. Yeah, that's really who I'm concerned about. I think we have a lot of great slot receivers. I'm just worried about outside just height, and so that's why I think Ortre will be a starter. He's definitely got the potential. Yeah. So that, that kind of leads me to the next question, which I, I feel like we might have some similar answers, but... Who will be the breakout or comeback to just give Ortre a little help in there? Star of this team. So does anyone want uh, to say anything on that regard? I think breakout. I, I want to ride with Joyner. Keep riding with Joyner on that. I, I just think he's just shown a lot as a person and his personality uh, and, and his, I guess, ethic of i don't know work ethic or whatnot. It's just of how much that he wants to he, he's committed, I guess is what I'm really trying to say to this program uh he really I, I think a lot of people expected him to not be on the roster this year uh just with the talent in the quarterback room and him not really being in the mix with that watching him go to another program uh that he could play quarterback at but i i just have so much respect for him to you know stay committed to to the, the original track to, to stick with his team and do whatever he can to help them win and so uh, I, I'm really excited to see. I'm, I'm hoping that pays off for him, and I want to see it pay off for him. And I, I think it could be a really great talent that he has. Awesome story. Um, if if I were to pick, I I want in my heart to go with Josh Van just because I, I really think it could be him. But I'm gonna probably stick to a safer pick and go with uh, Xavier Leggett here. I think last year toward the end of the season he struggled a little bit being a true uh, true freshman. With uh, Edwards out and like a lot was asked for him in the in the late games where we really struggled. I think with a healthier receiving core around him, I could see him potentially maybe a bold prediction. I could see him being our leading receiver. 
That's what I was going to say, too. Uh, I Aha. think Xavier Leggett is just, uh, from what I'm hearing out of practices, Xavier Leggett seems like he's the real deal. I just think that he, there's a lot that can be grown from like freshman to sophomore. I think it's a little bit earlier on Joyner just because he's basically new to wide receiver. I think give him some more time and he he can be really good at, as a wide receiver, but I think it's still, still a bit early. You know, I, I'm tempted to say someone else like Ortre or Josh Van, but just from, from what I hear from reports, I just think that Leggett is going to be the real deal. I do want to throw in a question real quick. Now, do of course do do of course the coronavirus and all that, and the amount of time these guys are getting to spend together. How much do you think that's going to affect someone like Leggett, who you know didn't really get to play much last year? There's a new system now with Mike Bobo. There is another year with the quarterback that we've got with Helinski. But you know, do you think that's going to kind of affect the receivers and how they play and who plays where and stuff like that? I think it's definitely important. Uh, the storyline there's there's storylines surrounding this group everywhere with the injuries with replacing Edwards with uh, having this new system, it's going to be a lot. Um, And particularly with how run down they were with injuries last year, we struggled. But in the end, I think if you look at this roster, there are six four-star or former four-star guys on this roster. And that's not even including Xavier Leggett and Mike, the newcomer, Mike Wyman, who um, aren't in that group, but are are definitely at least. I thought Wyman was a four star. Maybe it was on like rivals. It, it might be on maybe on another site, but I mean, there's talent here. There, that's a lot of guys, and not all of them are going to pan out. But I would be I would be very surprised if I mean Shy Smith. We know is a proven talent. We don't know how good he can be, but we know he's he's probably our most solid guy right now. The two and three receivers, they have a lot to prove, but I, with all with all the guys we have on the roster, I'd be shocked if there wasn't at least one guy who came out and really surprised everybody. So those are the big storylines there, I think. Remind me again who our wide receiver coach is now. Um, it it moved around a lot. Uh, I feel like Joe Cox. It ha- okay, Joe Cox is, and then tight ends coach is Bentley. Okay, so they moved. Yeah. I was close. Good thing I have the good old internet here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that that's our uh, wide receiver breakdown. Anybody got anything else to add there? In- injuries will play a huge factor. I mean, we saw what happened in that Virginia game. Um, you know, granted, like I said, there were injuries there. Van and Ortre were out. You know, we just need someone to step up as that number one receiver. Uh, you know, be able to dominate the number one corners that are in our conference. Georgia, Florida, they always produce some good defensive back so it's just going to be attacking being able to attack them downfield and stuff but you know I, I feel confident in this group i just want to see who is going to emerge as like the guy that helinski can count on and that bobo can utilize in the offense because like we said earlier you know we're incorporating a new system we've kind of been screwed over a little bit by this virus but just you know being able to see the chemistry that's developed so far with these guys will be interesting for sure yeah i'm glad we started with this group as well because this position group might be the most important group on the team right now just because I, I think there's talent there and it hasn't shown. And when we don't have a receiving threat on the field, it showed how bad we, we became as an offense. So I'm really looking forward to see how, uh, how we can get better in this department. Cause I mean, when you have a young quarterback, like Linsky needs to have confidence in yeah, somebody to be able to throw the ball to. For sure. Yeah. Moving on with uh, Gamecock football, just a quick note, uh, two spurs up, hashtag spurs up from coach Muschamp this week. Uh, with three-star safety Jaden Johnson and three-star offensive tackle Jordan Davis 
Uh, particularly with Johnson, I think there was a lot of hype. He was getting um, a bunch of offers uh, at this time. That being said, obviously with, with the virus era we're in, South Carolina with uh, nine commitments. And there's some teams like Tennessee who have a, a full class, which makes absolutely no sense to me because like, I'm almost certain 75% of those guys have never even been on campus. It It really doesn't make sense how people are committing it this way but um just those those are two guys we got this week we'll we'll see if those commitments hold strong i'm definitely excited to actually recruit someone who's a safety i mean it's it's feels like it's been a gap on our defense for the last five years one thing i've heard uh regarding you know the in tennessee i don't think is the only school that has like a full class uh and i guess for whatever reason the coronavirus has prompted a lot of kids to commit than they normally do or they normally would. So uh, there's been kind of a, a record number of early commitments. And uh, I think a lot of people are expecting, or I've heard that a lot of people are expecting a record, a similarly record number of, of decommitments once everything opens back up and people can be invited back on the campus for things. And they might realize, well, I actually kind of like what this school over here offers, or maybe I don't like this school because I thought I did kind of stuff. So this is going to be a very interesting two year span in all the sports, but definitely college football. Um, just once we kind of see, I guess the repercussions of, of this virus and this shutdown and everything like that. For sure. I think with all that, does anybody have anything else moving forward for the rest of this, this segment here? Uh, well, yeah, I just wanted to throw in, I'm not going to get as in depth about it, about golf. Um, but you know, once again, just talking about South Carolina sports, um, another thing that I think I might the only, be the only one on the podcast that has an interest in it. But, uh, but Daniel Island uh, is really big in the tennis game. They normally uh, host the annual, formerly Family Circle Cup. Um, now the Volvo Cars Open, which is like the biggest, I guess, solo women's tennis event. You know, there's events that have men's and women's tournaments going at the same time. But uh, it's only a women's tournament on Daniel Island. Uh, it's the biggest one that, of that kind. They routinely get a bunch of massive names that come to that event. But this year, of course, that got canceled. Again, that's another event that's in April. And so they've actually announced that the WTA, which is the Women's Tennis Tour, uh, they are relaunching in South Carolina at Daniel Island. I believe next week is what it is. Uh, an event that's running June 23rd to the 28th. They got a lot of massive names. The reigning U.S. Open champion, Bianca Andreescu, Sloane Stevens, Madison Keys, which are some of the bigger names that aren't the Williams sisters, uh, as far as American players go. Uh, Victoria Azarenko is one of a handful of majors. And then uh, Charleston's own Shelby Rogers is playing in this event. Uh, it's just 16 girls that are coming. But like I said, it's, for women's tennis, it's a pretty loaded field. Uh, they're playing a combination of matches. I don't know. It's not really like a tournament. I, I think it's more like a charity event uh, that they're raising funds for frontline workers through, uh, through MUSC. Uh, so that's really cool that they're adding a, a charity factor and a, and a charity factor that's going to directly affect our South Carolina communities. But it's just really cool to see, once again, South Carolina being at the forefront of kind of the sports reopenings. Uh, you know, we know they're not really like the major, major ones. NASCAR started at Darlington this week with the Heritage Classic. That's just the second week back for golf. So it's still it's still pretty fresh and, and exciting. Um, and then we're getting tennis. This will be the first big tennis event. Uh, men's or women's there on Daniel Island. So that's really cool there. But I, would, I would just agree that it's cool to see South Carolina as the forefront of returning sports. You know, you leave a little, little praise on our end. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and I, I realize I'm, I'm one of the few that gets, gets up and hype for a lot of these sports, but uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's good. Even though it's not really as good for the economy as if like 
they just played the events like normal. Uh, but because you don't have the fans and all that kind of stuff, but you know, they're still bringing in like the golfers are still bringing in the NASCAR drivers, the tennis players, and, and they'll be able to attribute a little bit and, um, and add in these charity factors. It's just really great to see in our state and being able to show off what we have a little bit. And, and it's really a vast array of what we have, you know, it's NASCAR, it's golf, it's tennis. A lot of that is very different. So it's really cool that South Carolina, while we don't have, you know, we don't have major league baseball, we don't have the NFL in South Carolina technically, even though it's right there next door in Charlotte, you know, and we don't have NBA really, but you know, we, we have a lot of other things to offer, which is really cool. So, you know, I get excited about it. Some other people do, but it's cool to see, but yeah, that, that really wraps up the headlines for, for sports this week. And we have a really great interview coming up with, uh, with a pair of coaches from Merle Beach Prep. And we are excited to have that here in the back half of our episode and let you guys uh, learn about that. And you know, just like we did with the interview, and I think y'all will really enjoy it. Hey everyone, we are very pleased to be joined today with two very special guests, which is Eichert and Hollister from the Myrtle Beach Preparatory Academy are here. Uh, gentlemen, it's great to have you on tonight. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Thank you. We are, like I said, so thrilled to have you guys on. It's a real pleasure to have you. Um, if you guys want to go ahead, just give a brief introduction about yourselves to everybody, kind of let them hear you, know your voice, and tell them, you know, about, about your background information in your school. My name is Coach Eichert, friend at Eichert. I'm from, graduated from Western Carolina University. Uh, spent a couple years playing arena football, coaching arena football. Spent some time in the high school game. Uh, was brought down here last year to work with the program here at Myrtle Beach Prep, which obviously we'll get into a little later. Uh, currently serve as the AD and head coach. And pretty much that's the short synopsis on my background. I could go into real long detail. We could spend hours on it, but but no need to. <laughs> And then I'm uh, Coach Hollister. I coach defensive line down here. Uh, this is my first year with the program, actually. Uh, I was just brought on this year, and uh, we're just trying to be hungry and uh, get these kids, you know, to a place uh, where they can be succeed as not only athletes but individuals, you know, on and off the field. As I know that was one thing you guys were emphasizing earlier, was, you know, you're all about, you know, building the team both educationally and, you know, through the sport. Uh, so that's very impressive. I love what you guys are doing, trying to build, you know, better men, not just better athletes, but better men, better educators, uh, better parts of the community. So I think that's really awesome. For sure. And that that's a huge staple for us, you know, just on a personal level as, you know, people. We just want to make sure even further down the road, if they come to us, you know, we want to be there for them because we actually care about them. You know, it's more than football. It's life. You know, we want to like I like we've been just preaching these individuals just get them to a place where they can succeed you know in the classroom in the church in the community just doing whatever they can to be good uh citizens individuals and people absolutely that's what it's all about just making better individuals going forward so I, th I think that's a great thing you guys are doing over there uh you were mentioning that so you are a new program in general right i believe this is your second year that you've been uh a part of doing what you're doing uh correct we we've officially been myrtle beach prep uh, this is our second year of competition. Last year, the way the program originally got started was there was another program that did a couple athletic things and we're, we're trying to build a program down here under another name. And I partnered up with him previously last year as he wanted to get out of the football side of everything. Uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of legalities, a lot of cost, a lot of budgeting. It's, there's a lot of things that go into it. And he wanted to concentrate on other sports. We, we worked with him a little bit last year, came to the conclusion at the end of the year that we were just going to go our own way and continue with just the football side as, as that's my passion. I feel like that's the way we can reach some athletes that may not get reached otherwise that really fall through the cracks because of the larger numbers that are available. So we've 
we've been here now, like I said, this will be the second year, uh, first full official year of my my staff recruiting and working to build something special. Excellent. Excellent. That, well, you know, we're, we're happy. We're rooting for you guys for sure. Uh, only want the best of success for you going forward. Much like us, you know, we're kind of getting everything going forward too. So kind of, you know, finding your feet and treading the water and getting everything going is, it can be tough at first, but um, it's, it's good to see, you know, and you guys have come pretty far, I'm, I'm sure since your first, uh, first little bit last year. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it's a completely different world from last year, my friend. If you, if you had talked to me this time last year, I'd have probably been running in circles. At least I have a forward direction to go now. It's always good for upward and outward is what they always say. So that's good. Um, so you, you were saying scouting players, do you guys typically kind of go out into the area and scout or do, is it mostly just application only for the athletes that you're in, invested in the football? It's a process of both. If you, if you want to be honest, what really happens is many times with the prep game and with the postgraduate style programs, there's, there's different ones, obviously, you know, there's the junior college route, which is your affiliated ones. Everyone I'm sure that, that probably listens to your podcast has heard of, last chance you and those kind of programs. I mean, that's a true junior college. The difference with us is we do go out and recruit. So we will go out, we'll contact coaches, we'll contact high schools. Uh, we'll have players contact us as well. So it's a full circle of how it can be done. But the difference is when applying to a prep school, there's variations in what you're doing. Most of the times the kids that are coming to prep school, they may have low test scores that don't qualify them for a certain school that they'd like to get into. Uh, they may have a low GPA where they're looking to do grade replacement. They may need to do things of that nature that don't take the full status of a two-year junior college. Once they enroll in that junior college, many times they're there for two years and they lose two years of eligibility. So with our program, it allows them the opportunity to work to improve that test score and also some other areas as well as get more exposure without potentially losing any of their Division One eligibility. That's really cool. We're not losing the eligibility there. Yeah, and we got kids like that have overcome just obstacles in general. Even one that overcame cancer. Uh, we have on our team. You know, he's fought his way back. He's worked extremely hard. Works hard every single day to try and get to a point where he's doing what he loves because he loves football. He loves the game of football, and this is his opportunity to continue that and, and be able to get a scholarship and, and just continue what he loves doing and and you know, doing the right thing for his family and himself. That's awesome as well. Now, um, so I know I, we did a little bit of research on y'all's website and stuff. Now, y'all are connected. Is it is it Georgetown Tech? Is that right? It's Ori Georgetown Tech. So it's Ori Tech Georgetown Community Tech. College. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, but y'all don't necessarily represent them. Y'all just, y'all had the classes set up through them as well? Correct. So the reason is once you get into things like that, that becomes a junior college situation. Their students at Ori Georgetown Tech, if they're looking to do grade replacements, uh, obviously earn credits towards college and things of that nature. Uh, if they go to the postgrad side of it where they're taking SAT prep, we have a company that we work with out of North Carolina who does a really good job with the SAT, ACT prep. So it all depends on kind of which path they're going. One of the things and the reason we work with Ori Georgetown, uh, I'm just going to call it Tech because it makes it simple for me. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons we work with Tech is because a lot of parents, when they send their kids to programs like this, they want to know that they're actually going to class. They want to know that these programs do cost money. I mean, there's a lot of things in these programs that are out of pocket, and that's not a secret to anyone. We don't hide that. But the parents want to know, well, if I'm giving you money, is my kid even going to class? Did somebody sign them up for six online classes? They sit in their, their apartment room or their hotel room and never leave their room except to practice football and do whatever. So our main concern is treating it like a true gap year by working with the school where they go to class. They sit in a classroom in a college setting, which they'll have to do eventually if they want to play college football. 
and they actually get an education one-on-one. They have the interaction with other college students. So they're being brought into that college lifestyle slowly, and it allows them to concentrate on grades and other things. But it does have that small partnership. I think that's a great transition when you're coming right out of high school, uh, you know, because, you know, that, that jump going from high school where you're kind of monitored and, you know, there's a bell and you're, you're flowing from class to class. When you get to that co- collegiate level, it's a little bit more, there's a lot more freedom, I should say. So, you know, I'm sure parents feel a lot better when, you know, they know that their kids are sitting down, like you said, going to class, making the grades, you know, someone's there kind of guiding them and making sure that they're doing what they need to be doing, not out together, the partying, whatever, what have you. So I think that's a great aspect of what you guys have to offer as well. Oh, yeah. We're going to be on these boys about getting in class and stuff. And there's going to be consequences if they don't do their schoolwork. We're, we're on them about that. When you got so, I guess when you know football comes around and it's time for the season, uh, of course, you guys would play some of the other uh, schools of your caliber. How exactly do you set your schedule? Do you reach out with the other athletic directors and kind of make it? Is there like an overall branching company or a, a, a parent group that does that for you, or how does that work for you guys? We pray. Uh, no, um, seriously, what, um, what, what you do is when it gets to the kind of level we're at, there's a lot of variations on how people see us. So we're not allowed to play any Division One, Division Two program per NCAA regulations. That's a, that's the number one standard. So we'll never be able to play any team like that. When you get into the Division Three level and the NAIA level, they have what's called JV team. And what that basically is is when you – I don't know if you guys have ever talked to anyone who's been recruited for, a, let's say, football because that's the one that takes the most athletes. Let's just be upfront with it. You'll have some programs that will carry 200 kids. Now, as we both know and all of us know, they're not playing 200 kids in a season. So what they do is they build a JV team. So we try to play those JV teams, which gives these college coaches, one, a chance to look at our athletes against college-level athletes that they offered to come play for them. That's our first chance. So we'll reach out to the Division three teams that we can. Obviously, South Carolina is the worst day ever for trying to find a Division three team. But reaching up into North Carolina, you've got your Methodist, your North Carolina Wesleyan, your Greensboro College. Uh, going up into Virginia, you've got Ferrum. Uh, you've also got Averett. So there's, there's schools like that that are close enough that have JV programs. That's where we start. Once we get to the point of figuring out, okay, there's only two JV programs available this year that want to play us. Perfect. We go to the next step. We have a great relationship with Lewisburg, which is a junior college in North Carolina. We're playing them twice this year. We always play Lewisburg. It's just like one of our things. I mean, that's kind of, you know, you guys always play Clemson in South Carolina. It's just going to happen, right? So. Yeah. We always play Lewisburg. And then once that steps down from those junior colleges, we then step down, obviously, into the prep world. And we try to stay with the best competition we can and also with programs that do have a legitimacy. And, and by that, I mean they're reputable. So I don't have to worry about taking, you know, if you had a brother come out and play, I don't have to take your brother who's 18 who just graduated high school and he happens to walk out on the field and play a semi-pro team of guys that are 30 and will probably break his leg just because they think it's funny. So that's kind of how it works. So we start at the top with the Division three, and we go until we get no, man. I'll tell you right now, no doesn't hurt me. You could tell me no all day, and I'll just move right along. And then we go to the junior colleges, and we move on down. Uh, luckily, we do have some relationships uh, with our staff and some of the other coaches in the, in the industry, which allows us to lock some games in. But as far as scheduling, it's really – hard i mean i'm not gonna lie to you it's you gotta hope you gotta pray uh you gotta do the right thing if you put a bad product on the field they're never gonna call you again so it's it's really a situation of just 
due diligence and work with schedule. Sure. And I think that's a great perspective, especially when you talk about, you know, going out there and maybe, you know, with the division three coaches like that, or even lower than that, being able to see your athletes and maybe give them a shot. If there's a guy that really stands out like a wide receiver or something like that, you know, it gives them an opportunity to see your guys and they're competing on an actual, you know, competitive level. It is unfortunate that, you know, the scheduling can be kind of hard, whereas, you know, South Carolina and other big schools, we know who we're going to play every year, and we know for a fact we're going to play them no matter what. They're not going to tell us no, right? Um, so I guess yeah, it is a little yeah. different. But, you know, it's definitely good, as well as you said, you know, you don't want anyone going out there playing at a semi-pro league with, like you said, actual grown men, grown adults who could just hurt these kids and their career forever, stuff like that, which is what you never want to see. So, at least there's some sort of structure within which helps keep it. Uh, somewhat stable, which is nice. Yeah, and I know you said uh, it's a an annual, uh, it's probably an annual struggle making schedules. Um, but just kind of curious uh, with with the level that y'all are at, um, how how are y'all doing right now with the unprecedented circumstance that we have with with COVID and and that crisis and everything? Is that affecting y'all scheduling? Do you know how that might affect the outlook of your season yet, or are y'all still just kind of figuring that out like everyone else is? Really, to be honest, our scheduling. We've been lucky as far as building our schedule. We actually finalized our schedule, I believe it was back in February. We may have changed the game here or there based upon some travel distance, obviously budget and finance because of the COVID and the coronavirus. But other than that, we're we're pretty standard and set with what we've got. And the good part, as you were saying, every year with scheduling, we're lucky to have right now, I believe I, I looked at the schedule, we have eight games or eight teams right now that would be locked in for every year as long as we do everything right. Uh, but as far as going – forward with the, with all the concerns and everything with the COVID and, and coronavirus and all that, the major concern we have is making sure that everyone's in the proper situation and the proper health. We've spoken directly to a lot of these other organizations. And in the prep world, what's good, I will say this, but also unfortunate in the same man, manner is there's no governing body. So, th- for instance, if you talk about the state of South Carolina, let's speak of High School Athletic Association. Their athletic association says, hey, guys, you can't start until, what did they say, June 15th is what they gave them as a start date, or they may have made it July now. But they give them these start dates. There's no one that's regulating any of that as long as we stay within state guidelines. It's pretty much an ethical battle and a moral battle on our part to what do we expect these kids to do. Now, we're not having any workouts. We're not having anything right now just because of the fact of we're not there. But we've spoken with the other organizations, and we're all going to – we're going to play. Uh, there's there's not really anything we're worried about. The only ones we would be worried in scheduling uh, that would have issues may be those Division three opponents if their division puts restrictions on them. Other than that, we, we look to be pretty good. I mean, we checked in, like I said, with uh, – I think I've checked in with five or six of the programs we, we work directly with other than the division schools, and they're all in the same boat. They're ready to go. Uh, great guys, and they're, they're doing the same thing we're doing, taking it day by day. You know, it's it's good that you know. Well, at least we know that there'll be some sort of football this fall. So we'll we'll have y'all to look forward to if if the rest of the world can't get everything figured out. So uh, that that's pretty exciting. Yeah, we'll get the ESPN trucks rolling into Myrtle Beach soon enough. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're up there anyway. Sometimes with Coastal, so if you can just bring them over a little bit to you guys, I mean, that's that's. To step up. Yeah, Kirky and Chris may not have something to do. I mean, if you can't get them, you can get the you can get the Soda City sit down uh, media over there. If, if ESPN <laughs> yeah. isn't quite good as we'll high enough level, we'll set you up a whole desk in the end zone. You know, we'll whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> oh, <man>. Yeah, good <laughs> deal. Um, now I, I do have one question. I, I uh, I'm, I'm kind of a I guess a, a sports administration nerd uh, myself. I uh, um, I did a couple internships with uh, with. 
Carolina um, in school with Carla DeSharlson. Um, and so uh, now you said y'all y'all's program is only uh, only football, right? The, the I guess Myrtle Beach Prep doesn't encompass any other athletics, at least at this time. Correct. Right now, it's, we're, we're basing everything just around football because I want to make sure that we can follow through with the mission and the goal we have with one sport. It's not about building a huge program to to try and bring in more kids, more revenue, more this, more that. It's more about concentrating and, and specializing in one thing. Yeah. Not saying we won't branch out eventually, but currently we're only doing football. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so I was really curious to just, uh, I guess, what the what the um, the difference is and and how the, the the job requirements differ between putting on that AD hat and the head coach hat. Just seeing how that how that differs there. It doesn't. I'm just going to, I mean, it, it, the title, <laughs> it's, it, here's the problem. There's always a title that everyone wants to talk to an AD. Every time we do things, they don't gotcha. want to talk to a head coach because they feel like if they use the word AD, it makes them more important and they're going over your head. Yeah. So we just, I, I mean, I don't even know to be honest. I don't even know if I'm listed as the AD on the website. That's how bad it is. I just, it's, it's there because that way, if someone tries to ask a question, it's always going to have to funnel back to me, and instead of instead of them trying to find a random person, just just ask me. It's okay. Yeah, Coach Iger, I know that you've been kind of uh, in this business for a while now. Uh, I know the Myrtle Beach Prep is a little bit newer uh, of a program. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, for you on your side, you know, you're all about developing young men and uh, you know grown men and you know seeing their careers going forward. How many of yours, I guess, have you know? Do you have any great success stories that you'd like to share or tell the world? Uh, I guess the you know, at least our listeners about, you know, your program or people that you've had that have, you know, either gone on to the next level or done something, you know, become, you know, a senator or anything like that, you know, because you're, you're not, you're more than football, right? You're trying to grow men. Uh, any good success stories for you that you've seen as a coach? Sure. I mean, I don't know if I have any senators. That'd make me real old if I touch <laughs> senators. Um, you know, in, in, in the prep world last year, we had a couple guys last year who had some opportunities. I mean, I have a couple kids, one who was getting looked at by, a couple of Division One AA programs, and I'm, I don't know where he decided or where he decided because he was still making choices with the virus and everything, so I'm not going to put names out there. Um, we did put a couple kids in Division Two. Let's see. Before I was here, I worked in the high school game, and once again, I take no credit for any of the kids that might have gone somewhere the high school because it's a team effort, and I was just a, I was a minion on that staff, so I'm not going to act like I was a big dog. But one of the guys that I did have the privilege of coaching, and by that he wasn't my position, but I did get to coach him because I, I was on the staff. Uh, Caleb Farley's at Virginia Tech right now. He's one of the top DBs in the nation. So I got to coach him in high school. Uh, another one's I've got a couple guys who – that's the biggest name you're going to know. I mean, I hate to say that. But some of the other guys, uh, Wyatt French, I got to coach him when I first started coaching at the high school level. He played North Carolina Wesleyan. He actually got to go to the NFL Scouting Combine. It was a thing they put on for smaller school free agents. He got to do that. Most of the guys I got to coach, honestly, that really excited me is when I was coaching professionally, when I was coaching arena ball. Uh, one year I got to coach Claude Roten, which many people may not know. Uh, he played for the St. Louis Rams. He was a first-round draft pick, second-round draft pick, St. Louis Rams. I got to coach him. Uh, I got to coach Josh uh, Harris, who actually played at Bowling Green, was a Heisman candidate a while back. I got to coach Boot uh, Jackson, who was at the University of Ohio when he was playing ball. So, I mean, m my interesting – outlets and things I got to do was a lot of the arena stuff I did. And when I was in that world, I mean, I, heck, I coached for a guy who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it was, it was a crazy environment. Um, even got to coach and play for Lorenzo Styles, who was on the St. Louis Rams team that won the Super Bowl back at the, was the, the miracle thing where the guy got tackled at the one yard line. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's a that's lot of where I come. And, and as far as growth stuff, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not young by any means, but I'm not really old enough to say that I've put anybody 
on the next level like that. I, I don't want to take the claims to that. I just want to build. I mean, my thing is, like you said, I want to educate and teach guys. And being in the prep in the high school game, I've only been in prep and high school game now for five and a half years. So all my experience before that was at a higher level where I kind of didn't promote people. I kind of just uh, told them they did a good job or told them their contract was up. And so, so I mean, that was – that's kind of where I've been with it. And is that a big part of what brought you over to the prep side, which is kind of going forward more than football, as you've, you know, really been emphasizing this whole podcast, you know, you wanted to create better men, better leaders versus just, you know, you know, coaching a football team in a sense. Yes and no. I mean, if I'm going to be, you know, let's just be honest since I'm on the podcast. The, the thing is when I, I coached high school football and I loved it, that's, if you want to talk to anyone in the world and all these guys dream of coaching in the NFL or coaching in college, if you want to coach, and you're listening to the podcast, go volunteer at your local high school. And you can, you can change the life of a kid. And once you do it once or twice, and these kids actually buy into what you're doing, because you don't know the home life that these kids come from. You don't know if it's a great home. You don't know if it's a, a horrible home. You don't judge them, and you treat them like humans. You can change a kid's life. There are kids now that I know that I coached three or four years ago who will call me and say, hey, coach, what are you doing? You know, and stuff like that. They're – I learned a long time ago, you want to be the coach that when they're, when they're old enough, they want to call you to go have a beer because you taught them to be a man. So I feel like, in all honesty, I got a lot out of the high school game, personally. I, I'd love to have been in the high school game forever. Now, as you know, probably from the high schools you guys came from, I, I'm guessing they weren't perennial powerhouses. You've got, in high school, unfortunately, let's just put it how it is. A lot of times you may have a guy that's really good at one wide receiver, the next guy's decent, and the guy on the left side, somebody's mama gave a lot of money to the booster club. So the talent level varies. You, you know, that's my joke with everybody. So your talent level varies. What really pushed me into the prep side and what I really enjoy is it meshes the two things I really loved about when I coached professionally and when I coached high school. I can go out and recruit and say we're going to recruit the best of the best that needs our service. And we can bring those kids in and, and build a dominant team. And on the second hand, we can work with those kids in the same aspect I loved about high school and developing them as a young man so that whether he ever plays football again, he understands how to speak in public. He understands how to treat women. He understands, you know, how to hold down a job, how to do things that he may not have had the chance to do. Maybe you get him out of a bad environment and show him there is a life outside of what he knows. So that's my love of prep game is I mold both aspects and don't have the pressure of a college telling me I have to win or lose. I don't care if we win or lose. If I develop 700 kids, and this is, I'll tell parents, any ones I recruit, you can ask them. If I develop 700 kids to be better men and I lose 700 games, I don't care because I've done my job as a human and a coach. That really puts it into perspective, I think. Uh, I Very well said. Uh, I like how it kind of encapsulates both the your experience in the high school game and the professional game. Uh, kind of to transition a little bit from that with talking about your success stories and your heartwarming stories. As much as you can talk about it, do you have any funny stories that pop out? We like to ask our guests uh, if any funny memories, and I guess from your coaching experience, I'm sure there's there's some great memories from coaching that uh, are the on the lighter side. Uh, do you have any that you maybe want to share with us there? I'll tell you the funniest thing that ever happened to me. We... Uh probably not ever, but that I can remember right now. We were playing a high school game, and I was coaching a JV team, so it's not even a varsity program. And I'm standing beside the head coach, and we win the game. We finish the season undefeated. So what do they do? They come over to the head coach, and they dump the water bucket on him, right? 
So I'm standing there watching. I see him. I see him running towards us. I'm like, this is gonna be hilarious. This guy doesn't see it coming because he's the head coach, like of the varsity program. He does not see this coming. So right before they get to him to be a nice guy, because you you know it's like that person walking out in front of a car. You got to warn. Hey, there's a car coming. Even if you just scream, ah, you know, you got to give a little warning. So right before they get there, I tap him. I go, hey man, watch out. As I'm leaning in, he goes, that's not for me. It's for you. And they dumped two buckets of ice water on me in like 20 degree weather, and I was so unprepared for that. Because I thought they were going to get the other dude. Like, I had no clue that they were coming after me, no idea at all. And it just – when you're not ready for it, man, it's it's kind of scary. So, that's that's kind of <laughs> something funny. Um, another thing that's – I'll tell you this, and, and Coach Hosterman, he saw this. When this happened, we had a little get-together uh, with the program. And I'm real big into – I try and stay fit. Okay, I'm not the most fit person in yeah. yeah, so I'm not the most fit person, <laughs> but when – but when I'm trying to explain something to the guys, I like to be in well enough shape that I can step in and kind of demonstrate for them. So we're, we're out doing a practice, and we're trying to run a play, and I'm trying to explain to them the process on, on the run. You know, it's a delayed stutter, stutter, take your time, don't run as fast as you can, let it develop so you can see the hole as a running back. Now, I did it perfect. The hole opened up perfect, but the quarterback stepped forward instead of the side. I took two steps and slid about five yards on my face. Oh, I mean, just <laughs> straight up bit right the dust. Down. Yeah, and, and right. everyone is – I mean, the whole team is right there. So, I mean, that's kind of just showing that I'm human. So, that's kind of two of the things I can think of that are just memories. I mean, I don't – I'm a pretty serious guy. I hate to say that when it comes down to it. I'm pretty straightforward with them. So, I don't have a lot of fun joking times that are – I don't believe in being their friend. And then don't take that the wrong way. I believe in being their mentor and their teacher. So there's not a lot of stuff I do outside of there that's joking and kidding. So it's hard for me to point out a lot of that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stories I can tell you about kids that have gone on to do other stuff, kids that have impressed me, kids that I, you know, love down deep just because of how they are and how they changed. Uh, but other than that, there's not a lot. I mean, I don't I don't have a lot of funny stuff because I'm I normally don't do anything stupid. I try not to at least. <laughs> I never looked that one down, uh, slipping in practice and all. <laughs> oh, no, I'll still have the shirt covered in dirt. I got to get my wife to clean it out. Like, I don't know how to do that. I've had it for, I've had it for two or three weeks dirty, and I just don't know what to do. There's there's mud on it. I don't know what to do. It's a white, And I wore a white shirt to practice. White. I Good luck with that one, guys. <laughs> yeah. Dark, dark colors, colors only from now on, you know. <laughs> just looking at uh, y'all's schedule, uh, I noticed – just a couple names. Uh, obviously, UNC Greensboro is a, a bigger name. Um, just with uh, Palmetto Prep, um, that's from our area. Most of us um, here that are speaking are from the Midlands area. Um, just with it being an in-state program um, and similar level to y'all, do y'all consider that a rivalry? I guess your program's generally pretty new, but also maybe just with it being uh, within the borders. Uh, we want to highlight within the state of South Carolina. So that je- definitely jumped out at me as something that I could see. Yeah, the, the Wolf Palmetto Prep, we'd like to develop it into something as far as a rivalry. I mean, in-state. I mean, you're looking that's considered, I guess, what, upstate? We're considered – Midlands, up, Midlands. I've never heard. We're low country. Yeah, so I've never, I've never yeah. heard – I've only heard upstate and low, and low, low country, low country, low country. In South Carolina. I've got the mountain, so we'll, we'll excuse them a little bit. But <laughs> – but so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it could develop into something. I mean, it's a matter of right now, I'm just being honest. They've been in, as an organization, they've been there for 10 years. Uh, it was, I believe it was Great Collegiate or Great Academy at first and changed over to Palmetto Prep six, seven, maybe eight years ago. So they've been around for quite a while. I mean, and they, they do a great job of getting the athletes in, doing exactly what a prep program is supposed to do, putting the athletes out there, 
uh, and getting them to what they need to do, getting them moving on to the next level. So they're, they're a top-tier program as far as I'm concerned. You know, being our second competing year, we just hope that we can we just hope that we can stay competitive with them for the first year or two. I mean, it's going to take time to build the, the talent level and everything to the level that they're at. So it's it's there, yes. I mean, you're going to consider an in-state rival, but then again, do you if they go out and beat the crap out of us for a couple of years, can you really consider that in-state rival? I mean, I told you I went to Western Carolina. While I was there, App State beat us every year, man. But yet they were our rival, and they beat us back. I mean, we're Carolina fans, so, I mean, we consider it a rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> that worked. And I'm an Ohio State fan, and I consider going to that team up north a rivalry, even though we kick their butt every year. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we, hope to, we hope to play Palmetto Prep every year. I had a, buddy, a couple buddies that played there. I went to uh, Soxie High School down here and graduated in 2014. So I played with people that went to – Played with Hunter Renfro. I played with uh, Delano Walters, who went to Coastal. Maxwell Joseph went to Coastal. Uh, Sam McKinney went to Wofford. So hopefully we can create something, and hopefully we can kick their butt every year and uh, make them question if it's a rivalry. Yeah, you had to. Uh, now where where do they play? I was trying to figure that out because I was like, you know, we're we're right here. Uh, we we you know we might be able to stop by for a game if I don't know if y'all will allow fans. I know that's might be something that is up for question still, but. I was like, I was wondering about yeah, that. Yeah, just couldn't quite figure it out. Palmetto plays at Irmo High School. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh, crap. That is like in my backyard. Yeah, yeah, that's right next right to Right over the dam. Yeah, yeah. They, literally, I could throw a rock from where I'm sitting right now and hit the football field at Irmo High School. <laughs> well, hopefully you guys can come out for the game. What's it like playing against, uh, getting scheduling against IMG Academy? I know that has to be exciting. That was huge. Uh, so exciting. We're really blessed to get that opportunity. We worked an event here in Myrtle Beach back, I want to say it was February. The big, I know you guys saw the post and everything. When Cam Newton had a flag football team down here, it's like NFA or NF something, 707 uh, here in Myrtle Beach. But IMG actually works with another company to put that on, big Under Armour thing. And we got hooked up and helped because of the fact of our relationship with Myrtle Beach City. They needed some, some helpers. We, we helped donated our time and you know kind of got some things going there and he spoke about them possibly starting the prep side and doing the postgraduate side and I said hey man if anything happens and that's a real true story could you please just just let me talk to somebody like I'm, I'm you know once again pray uh talk to somebody about it a couple days later one of their guys got in touch with us and it's you know kind of blossomed from there we were worried a little bit with the coronavirus and cost i mean they do have what people don't understand is most of you guys understand img for their national team which is the big team they take all over the u.s with all five-star athletes and you know they've got you, you don't know how they've got 40 guys on a team and all of them get division one offers but only 22 can play in the whole game you know 11 at a time so so they've got that team and they have another team that actually travels the state of florida playing a regular high school varsity roster schedule so the post grad was an addition and we just we were like i said we were lucky to get added on there uh they're setting it up we're going to treat it and they're going to treat it like it's a bowl game. We should have publicity. Uh, they, they've got a lot of stuff going on. I know they've got the Under Armour and Gatorade and, and all their sponsorship stuff that's working with them. Uh, I don't exactly know how big it's going to be as far as what they're able to do because of the virus, but they told me it's going to be a, a special time. And it's an opportunity for, once again, our guys to get out of South Carolina, go somewhere that's different. Obviously, you know, be down there, see a different world, see what the big time is like. Because, I mean, from what I've heard and what I've seen from IMG, their facilities are better than some Division One programs. Mm -hmm. So just the opportunity to see that will be great for these kids. Yeah, it's one definitely one of the ones I've seen that uh, that definitely jumped off the page when I was looking at that schedule because um, we 
the kids that are going there, uh, a lot of them are. It's 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 like going to school just to play football. In in some ways, it's it's in just a ridiculous list of names as well as uh, program facilities and everything. I guess just one final question. Uh, we we've liked to ask our guests this in the past, so we'll we'll frame this toward you guys. Um, what do you want your legacy to be in coaching? I know you've talked a little bit about being mentors for guys and shaping their their lives to be better in the future. And football is just a, a very small part of building all that up. But uh, generally, what is, what do you want your legacy as a coach and as a person who's a mentor for these players to be? You know, you know for me personally, I, I want something that I can look back and be proud of on and uh, see what I've helped these kids achieve. You know, that's why I really did get into it. You know, not to just reiterate myself, but I really just, I, I did, you realize in high school that you always think you're given 100% or wherever you are, you think you're given 100%, but you don't have someone to tell you that could always give a little bit more. So I, I just want to be that guy to push these kids to be the best person on and off the field possible. Um, it would be great to get somewhere one day, you know, a high position but that's not really my goal if it happens it happens my goal is just like he said like we've all been saying you know to be that mentor to be that guy these kids look back on like I look back on some of my coaches and just think wow that guy really helped me in a positive way helped me become the man I am today and you know I just want to make a positive impact on people's lives that's my main concern where I'm from in Youngstown Ohio you know it's a lot of negativity there there are the success stories that come out of there the uh, Stoops family, the Trestle, the Maurice Claret, you, you have those people that come out of there and, and same with Myrtle Beach, but it, there's, there's a lot of failure too. And I just want to see less failure and more success in my communities where I'm from. That's really great as well. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of like one, one of the reasons with us, uh, with this podcast, you know, we really want to shine a light on the guys, you know, in our state that are, that are doing things like that. And um, and, and, and having these success stories. So um, it's really great, you know, have one of our first interviews being people with the same kind of uh, mentality and, and goals and, and thought process to their whole approach. My aspect is a little different. I think my, my ultimate legacy is I want to be a builder and whatever that may be, whether that's building confidence in an individual, whether that's building a future for an individual, whether that's just building something that someone's proud of. My main legacy, in my opinion, and, and what I want to be remembered for is what I've done for others. If nobody talks about me, if nobody cares about me, if I disappear in five years, the people I've touched along the way are the only ones that really matter to me. They're the ones that matter that they gained something from the time they spent in our program or the time they spent with me coaching them, whether, you know, before this program or not, just to know that a kid has an opportunity, any kid, doesn't matter, any race, creed, color, male or female. Heck, we may have a female that wants to play eventually, or we may get into women's sports. But that athlete understands that, you know what, there is a future for me, and they do something with that. So my legacy and what I'm remembered for is kind of weird, because I don't really hate to say it. I don't really care if I'm remembered, as long as the people I've touched are productive. Uh, my name's just a name. Gonna, when I go, it's going to go. So it's a matter of the, the people I leave behind are the legacy. It's not necessarily me. 
Right. It's always it's the bigger picture, right? Always bigger than you. You know, it's about it's about the man you're developing and stuff like that. And we, you know, I think we really appreciate that. That's kind of something that we all look for in a coach. You know, to be a teacher, a mentor. You know, you're not looking to be their best friend, as you were saying, but to carry them to the next step. And I think we can all appreciate that um, as a person, as an individual, what you're trying to do. Um, we we respect the crap out of you for that, Coach Eichert. And we we thank you guys for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on. Really, we really appreciate it. It's been great hearing about your stories, about your program. We wish you guys the best of luck. So you got, you guys have a lot of things coming for you, and even even more to come along the way. Uh, we we know we're really excited to hear more about your guys and any success they might have in the future. Um, it, it's been a great pleasure to have you guys. Absolutely. And once once we get everybody down here, I mean, if you guys, we've got some guys from Brooklyn, Casey. If you're talking up your way, so we've got some guys up that way coming down and. And some other people, once we get everybody down on campus and, and kind of get everything rolling, you guys are more than welcome to come down for a weekend and, and, and do a game. Or we can get you guys set up and talk to some of the guys. Whether And I'm not saying you have to put them on, on the podcast if you don't want to. Just, just talk to them so you can kind of get to know the kind of kids we're working with and things like that to, to get a better understanding of the program. I think if you guys were able to be involved a little bit, you, you'd really see the growth that these – I'm not saying us. Palmetto Prep, Gyre Prep, uh, there's an AHOP Christian. They're all over. But these preps – programs like this, the, the inf influence they can have on the lives and just being involved and, and kind of seeing the, what happens inside of them, talking to guys, getting the real stories. I think you guys will fall in love with what these programs do. Absolutely. It's a lot easier when you're on the inside. And yeah, we'd love to keep, keep a relationship up with you guys. You know, we, we, we've loved this interview. It's been, it's been really great. We've learned a lot about um, a whole, a whole new, like, I guess, form of football and, and, you know, a whole new option that, you know, really, I don't know how much we knew about, um, you know, like the prep, the prep approach to things uh, before before this week, really. So it's really great to learn more of what opportunities have for high school students and um, coming out in, into the college, that transition period. So um, I, I love listening to you guys and learning about what y'all do. Thank you for having us, man. It's, it's an opportunity for us to tell everybody what's happening and kind of reach out to a, a whole new audience. I mean, you guys are going to have a whole new audience that we would have and Hopefully, maybe when our audience gets into this and hears about it, they're going to want to follow you guys as well. So it's it's helping both of us further our careers, which is what we both want to do. Best of luck to you guys this season, Coach Eichard. Like I said, it's been a pleasure having you. We'll definitely take up on that offer, come on down and join you guys. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see you guys very, very soon. We'll stay in touch. Sounds good. Thanks again, guys. Yep, sounds good. Thank you, guys.